Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sake Revolution, America's first sake podcast. I'm your host, John Puma, from the SakeNotes.com, also the administrator at the Internet Sake Discord, and our resident sake nerd at large. And I'm your host, Timothy Sullivan. I'm a sake samurai, sake educator, as well as the founder of the Urban Sake website. And together, John and I will be tasting and chatting about all things sake and doing our best to make it fun and easy to understand. That's right, Tim. So what is in store for us today? Well, I wanted to ask you a question. Get started by asking you, when you think of sake production in Japan, what areas of Japan do you think of? That's an easy one. Uh, I have a type. So I'm going to say Yamagata. (laughs) You're not biased at all. (laughs) Never. Not not in the least. So Yamagata, I would agree with you. That's a pretty famous region for sake production in Japan. Can you think of any other areas that are really well known? Sure. Um, I happen to know that my friend Tim Sullivan spent a year at Hakaisan in Niigata. And I know that Niigata has a massive number of sake breweries. So I'm going to think of Niigata. Yes, that's, uh, that's hey, that sounds great. And 90, 90 sake breweries in Niigata. So 90. that's more than any other prefecture. Ooh, that's going yeah. to be a long deep dive when we do that one. It's going to be a series. <laughs> I think that Kyoto is another very famous sake region for production. And Kobe in Hyogo Prefecture, that's another real home base for sake production. And great stuff there, too. Yeah. But there's one other place that makes really good sake that I think most people would never think of. And that mm-hmm. place is Tokyo. To- Wait, you mean the Tokyo? Tokyo, Tokyo? With the skyscrapers? Yeah, the one, that one. Yeah. I think when you think of Japan, people either think of Tokyo or they think of sake production, but they don't think of both together. When I found out there was sake production in Tokyo, I was kind of shocked. And I was yeah. I thought that maybe uh, something was lost in translation and I wasn't understanding properly. <laughs> so there's, there's sake production in Tokyo. Obviously, this is not happening in the in the Blade Runner-ish areas that people think of when they think of Tokyo. Um, You know, it's not Skyscraper and then Sake Brewery. That would probably not make great sake. So where are they doing this? Well, the first thing you need to know is that Tokyo is not just the city proper. There's the rest of the prefecture or the region. So if you think of Tokyo like a state, there's the capital, but there's also parts of Tokyo that are rural and very countryside. And that's where most of the breweries are located. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there's an outskirts of Tokyo where, where there's sake breweries and I guess some greenery. I'm hoping some greenery. <laughs> yes. uh, how many are we talking here? There's about 10, roughly 10 sake breweries in Tokyo p- Prefecture. I, I would not have guessed 10. I th- <laughs> I'm kind of shocked and floored at the idea there's 10 sake breweries lurking about in Tokyo. I mean, I knew there were a few, but that's a lot more than I expected. Yeah. One thing to think about, though, is that I would consider Tokyo to not have as much of a prefectural style as some other places do. Mm. And and why would that be? Well, when you, when we talk about Niigata, Niigata has a Toji or a master brewers guild, all of its own. And it has over 90 breweries that kind of all connect and work together. And over the years, they've forged this regional style that is largely based off, you know, the type of primary water source that they have there and, the type of uh, climate that they have. And uh, it's very cohesive. I'd say it's very similar in Yamagata, very similar in Kyoto and those other places we mentioned. 
But Tokyo is an area where lots of people come in and out, lots of movement, and they don't have the critical mass, I think, to build up a true regional style. But I will say that just being a sake producer in Tokyo is unique and a hallmark in and of itself, in my opinion. Right. Since they don't have one another to really bounce off of in the same at the same scale that a lot of the other prefectures have, they're more likely to just kind of go off on their own and try things their own way. Is that kind of what we're seeing? Yeah, I, I think that it's a bit more of a challenge when you're so few to mm. create that true identity. But there is some amazing sake from Tokyo. And you and I are going to be tasting two examples today. That's to- right. <laughs> sake that's made in Tokyo. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a big fan of both of these sakes. I'm very excited to be drinking both of them. In fact, the one you're going to be drinking, I have not had in years as an old favorite. So I'm a little bit jealous. Just a little bit, though, because the one I'm going to be tasting, I'm also a big fan of. So it's I, I win either way. <laughs> it is a win-win situation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you win either way. It's great. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know, I think we should get right to it. Jump right into the tasting. Wait, so what we usually do is... We're barely six minutes into this podcast and we're going to be drinking sake already? <laughs> well, we just we just took a quick stroll through the education corner and we are right in the tasting kitchen now. This, so This is my favorite episode by far now. Let's go for it. All right. So we usually both introduce our sakes first. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yours? Sure. So my sake is from a brewery called Toshimaya Shuzo, located, again, in Tokyo, of all places. And it's part of a brand called Kinkon. And the name of the sake is Juemon, and it's a Junmai Muroka Genshu. So it's touching on a few of those uh, a few of those types that we've mentioned in the past. I don't think we've gone too deep on Muroka. We've talked a little bit about it. We've talked a little bit about Genshu. Basically, the Moroka means that it is not charcoal filtered. And the Genshu means that it is not diluted. So at the end of the brewing, it is not, they're not adding any water to bring it down. This is what outside the sake world you probably call cask strength. And it's using a rice called a Hatanishiki. And it's milled down to 60% remaining. Excellent. Sounds really intriguing. Because it's a Genshu, no water added, it has a little bit of a higher alcohol percentage, too. Very slightly. It's a 17 and a half. Actually, so it's a little bit more than slightly. <laughs> it's it's uh, Slightly more than that's slightly. That's kind of substantial. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, let me introduce you to my sake. This is called Sawanoi, mm. and it's a Junmai Ginjo. So Sawanoi is the brand name. The brewery is Ozawa Shuzo. And it's located in Tokyo Prefecture. Amazing. It's a Junmai Ginjo grade sake, and it has 15% alcohol. The rice milling rate is 58% remaining, and the rice is Gohyaku Mangoku. Ooh, that's a, that's a familiar rice. Yeah. And the SMV, that rating of sweet to dry, is a plus three, which is a pretty neutral rating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So. Before we get to the tasting, I do want to mention that I had the really good fortune to visit Sawanoi Brewery and get a tour. This was Ooh. many years ago, probably about 10 years ago. And the landscape around the brewery is probably the exact opposite of what you would think of when you think of Tokyo. 
Again, some people have that Blade Runner skyscraper idea in their head. But when you go to Ozawa Shuzo and you turn the corner and you go down the little path and you enter their compound, it is the most beautiful place you'll probably ever visit. It is so beautiful. John, I'm actually going to show you a picture. Look at this. Oh, ooh, all right. That is gorgeous. And, uh, yes. And Not what you expected for Tokyo, no, right? There's there's no neon to be seen at all. This is very <laughs> surprising. Is Harrison Ford there? <laughs> if you sent this to me and said this was, oh, here, John, this is a picture I took in Kyoto, I'd be like, oh, obviously you did. Uh, so Because <laughs> that's what you expect when you think of Kyoto. Yep. It's not what you expect when you think of Tokyo. Now, we're going to have a picture of Ozawa Shuzo, a picture or two in our show notes. So check them at sakerevolution.com. Uh, but for those of you who are just listening in, there is a beautiful uh, river that runs across the main campus of this brewery. There is a suspension bridge. On the far side of the bridge is a small Shinto shrine nestled into the woods. And the brewery is on the near side of the bridge. There's a beautiful tofu specialized restaurant on mm-hmm. the campus as well. So you can sit in a tatami room overlooking the bridge and the river, eat a tofu and drink the sawanoi sake, which I had the great privilege of doing. It was delicious. And the brewery is very close to Tokyo proper. So you can take the train for about an hour and a half, an hour to an hour and a half. And mm-hmm. you are in this very idyllic setting and they do tours as well. So it's a great place if you're in Tokyo and you want that sake experience. I highly recommend making a trip out to Sawanoi. And and guys, remember that's an hour and a half. Tokyo is a big place. It is not. Uh, it's not a city on the same scale as a lot of us understand it in the U.S. It's a very large place. It's much more than a city. It is actually several cities. Yes. It's hard to explain. We'll get into it another day. Yeah, city uh, <laughs> upon city. But I think it's also important to mention that if you have an hour and a half on the bullet train, that's one thing. But an hour and a half on like a local commuter train is something different. Oh, yeah. So, you know, bad. you can get pretty far away on the bullet train. But for a local commuter train, getting out to Sawanoi Brewery is a pretty quick trip. And you can spend the whole day there. They have a gift shop. They have the brewery tour. They have the tofu restaurant and they have the beautiful outdoor seating areas. You can sit there and just uh, absorb the the scenery. It's really beautiful. So if you want to see the pictures of this gorgeous place, just check our show notes. And John, I think it's time to get to the tasting. And I, if I remember, I let you go first last time. So I'm going to go first this time if it's all right with you. Uh, I, I think I can. Uh, I think I can accept you second can, place. <laughs> All right, so this is our Junmai Ginjo from Sawanoi. I'm going to go ahead and open this up, give it a pour. All right, so in the glass, it's very, very clear and beautiful. It has a nice viscosity. Mmm, the aroma is very gentle and has mild, fruity components to it. Mmm. A little bit of apple, a little bit of pear, soft, dare I say, wafting melon. Yes, there's a oh. little melon. <laughs> it's our favorite mm. type of melon. Very, very gentle, fruity aroma. Just that gorgeous Ginjo style aroma that mm. is just so yummy and delicious and just really great. But it's gentle. It's soft. It's not 
overt. It's not sticky. It's not cloying in any way. Just really gentle and lovely. Let's take a sip. Yes, let's. Mm. Yeah, so this is a really nice and smooth. Uh, it is not overtly sweet. Again, the SMV for my sake is plus three, mm-hmm. which is very neutral. But the finish of this sake has a brightness to it. It's not an overly high acidity or not an overly high SMV. But there is a brightness at the finish that kind of balances out the fruity fruitiness and any hint of sweetness you might get from that. So overall, my impression is that this is a balanced sake. Using the Gohyaku Mangoku sake rice, again, that's a sake rice actually from Niigata. And it is known for being more light and airy in the style of sake that you get out of it. Hmm. And I think that comes across here. It's kind of a, a gentler approach, a light touch. And that really comes across on this, on this Sawanoi. Really delicious. You've said that you've had this before, but not for a long time. Right. So it used to be a go-to for me at an old izakaya that I used to visit near my office. And it was, it's like everything you're describing is bringing back such uh, vivid memories for me because it is something, it was those notes on it that made me want to have that sake. It made me, made me have a carafe of it every time I went to this restaurant. I just haven't had it in a long time. I don't see it that much anymore, which is unfortunate. Yeah. It's funny. The label is mostly in Japanese. But on the bottom, it says Sawanoi Junmai Ginjo Sake. And the Ginjo is in quotes. <laughs> you know, Junmai you know the, Ginjo. The, I don't know. <laughs> ginjo? Ginjo? Air quotes Ginjo. <laughs> I love those memes like un- unnecessary quotes. I think this yeah. falls into that category. Junmai kind of Ginjo? Yeah. But the, the one thing I never found out about this brewery is that their, lo- their little logo is a crab. It's a crab. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just showing John right now that the very top cap has mm-hmm. a really cute little crab on it. I don't know if it's that, that's just their I was about to logo, ask you if you why that was. <laughs> well, maybe one of our listeners can write in. And yeah, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. To solve so, the mystery of the Sawanoi crab. Yeah. So the river, you're going to love this, John. I'm ready. The river that cuts through the Sawanoi brewery compound is the Tamagawa River. Really? Yes. The Tamagawa River. <laughs> Tamagawa River. <laughs> did, I, did, I, did anybody tell Phil Harper about this? <laughs> <laughs> he built his brewery in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly. Uh, oh, yeah. all right. So, yeah, so there are mountains in Tokyo Prefecture. There's beautiful countryside. And... The bottle says that the water from the Tamagawa River is rated as one of the top 100 best drinking waters in Japan. Now, uh, do we know anything about where they're sourcing the rice? I mean, are are there rice fields in Tokyo? Mm, That's a great question. Honestly, I don't know where Mm. this brewery is buying their rice specifically. But as I mentioned, Gohyaku Mangoku primarily is grown in Niigata. Mm. And because they don't have... They don't have vast areas of countryside in Tokyo. I imagine that they may be buying it from somewhere. Uh, but that would be interesting to find out. I think that they probably, um, if I had to guess, I'd say they might be buying it from another prefecture. Hmm. Nice. Well, I think it's time for me to open up the Joymon. Over to you, John. Oh, fantastic. So... As I mentioned earlier, this is using that uh, Hatan Nishiki rice and 
astute listeners will remember that this is not the first time that we've had this rice on the show before. This was a rice that was made famous in Hiroshima, which is apparently where it was born back in back in the 70s, I want to say. That's something that both of our sakes have in common. My sake uses a rice that was born in Niigata, another prefecture. And your sake uses a sake rice from that is completely identified with a totally different prefecture. So that's interesting. I think that speaks a little bit to the identity of Tokyo. You know, it needs to bring in things from from other places. And uh, these sake rices speak to that. Yeah. So uh, excited to see what yours tastes like. Yeah. So going ahead and pouring this and at Sake Revolution, we use wine glasses. We recommend wine glasses. You've got them at home already. You don't need any kind of specialized glassware to drink sake. So this is interesting because on the nose, it's got a, a rich, a richness and a little bit of a rice forwardness to it. And it reminds me a lot of Omachi. Remember we talked about that specific omachi note a long time ago in an old episode. Uh, comes through, especially on the nose. It's hard to describe outside of, oh, this is like omachi. This reminds me a little bit of that. Some people describe omachi as having like a depth of flavor, a, little, a hint of earthiness to it. Oh, this is wonderful. This is very much not my style of sake, but it is absolutely fantastic nonetheless. <laughs> uh, not everything's got to be the thing that's uh, the t- one type of sake I like. You've got to like other types. Hmm. It's very nice and round. You're getting that. There's a little bit of that alcohol on the finish, but you're getting some nice complexity, richness, and fruit blended in the front. And it's it's very unique, very interesting. And unlike a lot of the things I drink and I enjoy, I think this is going to go really well with food too. Really nice stuff. I wouldn't have expected this to be something that you get in Tokyo. This reminds me a little bit more of Hiroshima sake, and that's probably because of that rice. Now, as we mentioned before, your sake is a Genshu, no water added, 17.5% alcohol. Yep. Can you feel the weight of that alcohol, or is it well integrated? I mean, it's it's a little bit on the end. There's a, you get that little bite. But by and large, this is not something, it doesn't have that Genshu hit of, like, remember when we... Uh, drank a few episodes back, the Naruto Tai, which is that Namagenshu that is like punching you in the face with its presence and with the alcohol. This is a lot more subtle. Mm. It's not subtle. It's still letting you know it's there, but right. it is not uh, aggressive in the way of that of that Namagenshu. This is so much more uh, relaxed in comparison. Yeah. Another way you can look at that, John, is the viscosity, like how coating is it on your palate? Some of the Namagenshus like you were just talking about really coat your palate and they're very coating on the the tongue and lighter genshus can be a little bit easier and a little bit more nuanced and Mm -hmm. this one i'm assuming is a pasteurized version of a genshu yes this is not a nama you don't have that raw nama edge to it it's a little bit more subtle i'm very impressed at how um so this is a very complex sake and it's difficult, I think, to balance a sake that's doing so much, and it does it really well. This is really well balanced. There's a lot going on, and it all kind of fits really well together. 
really nice. And I think this is going to change significantly, probably maybe for the better, uh, once it warms up a little bit. Hmm. Hard to tell, but it's it's starting to a little bit in my hand, and it it is definitely changing its style a bit, like just as I'm sipping right now. Mm-hmm. And what do you think for your sake? What do you think for food pairings? This is going to stand up to some things. It's not going to be – it's not going to deal with things as aggressive as that Naruto Tai did, but – uh, I don't think you need to be afraid of having this with with heartier foods. You know, I would like to have this with yakitori. I think that's going to go really, really well. Uh, that sounds amazing. What is uh, Tim? You got to remind me. I always forget. What is the chicken meatball yakitori? Skune. Skune, and they usually have it with like a sauce mm-hmm. on there. It's usually dipped in a sauce and grilled a little bit. Yeah. I think that that the little bit of tanginess in the sauce that complexity in the and it's going to go really well with this yeah this is the izakaya education corner but there's two <laughs> two toppings you can get uh tare which is the sauce or the shio which is the salt so the skune can be prepared in two different ways and both of them are absolutely delicious and mm. sound like they either way would be a perfect pairing for your sake yeah what about you oh well this is light and gentle and really well balanced i would not want to have this sake with anything that had too much weight to it Mm -hmm. so i'm thinking of like poached salmon would be great with this or fish different fish dishes i'd really like it with salads and vegetables but the one thing i keep coming back to the brewery has a tofu restaurant (laughs) So if you think about all the different preparations of tofu, and they get very elegant in Japan. Have Mm -hmm. you ever had yuba, which is the tofu skin? I I think I've had it once. Oh, my gosh. It used to freak me out thinking about tofu skin because, you know, nobody likes when you have pudding or something. No one likes that skin on top. But when you prepare it correctly, (laughs) tofu skin is like the best thing it's called yuba in japanese and Mm. it is so delicious you can roll it up in little rolls and put it in some uh, soy sauce and a little wasabi on the side and it is amazing so that would be my ideal pairing with this particular sake so you're saying that the next time i'm offered this i should definitely jump on it yes Hmm. i'm very pro yuba so next time next time you get a chance to try uh tofu tofu skin and a well-prepared Japanese restaurant, I would recommend it for sure. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Very interesting. This has been a little bit educational, which I think we like to do. Mm. Again, I was aware that these uh, that these breweries existed and that they existed in Tokyo. In fact, my bottle has a little Tokyo uh, kind of a prefectural uh, sticker on it, and it borrows some of the... Uh, design language of the 2020 Olympic designs. Hmm. Uh, I was probably put on there to kind of celebrate that and and kind of promote Tokyo for the Olympics. Hopefully they get to experience that in the future. As we all know, we're recording this in 2020, so there has not been an Olympic Games this year, but I assume that they're going to try to get this going someday soon. And the Sawanoi that I mentioned uh, earlier, I'm very familiar with, I must have been drinking it for months Months and months, maybe even a year, maybe even years before I found out it was actually made in Tokyo. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea. I was very ignorant to that to that concept. And then when I found out, I was 
bewildered uh, because much like we described earlier, my thoughts on Tokyo were very concrete and cement and neon. It's not something you think of. You don't think that they can make sake here, but here they are making really, really great stuff. Yeah. And another thing I think that Sawanoi has done well is that they've made this like destination compound out of their brewery. You know, it's not just like an industrial building. You can go there, you can spend the day, you can eat at the restaurant, you can go to the gift shop, they have a cafe, they have outdoor seating, you can tour the brewery, which is not common for most sake breweries. Mm -hmm. And they have the bridge and the, the river and it is just so picturesque, really great. So they've done a great job with that. And I think that for people who are in Tokyo and they're not traveling far away from Tokyo, it's a great chance to have that sake experience without going too far afield. Mm, nice. Um, have you visited uh, Toshimaya? No, I've never been there. Yeah, neither have I. <laughs> I've never been Love to a to brewery go. in Tokyo, so we can... Anytime you ask me about that one, I can, I can safely say, no, I have not regrettably been to a Tokyo brewery. But maybe one day. Yes. Well, that's we a to-do list for when we get to go back to Japan again. Yeah. We seem to say that every week. I'd say we're making, a, as... we're, we're making a list. And uh, it's going to be... <laughs> you always make twice. the list too long to do in one trip. So you have to you have spill over and you have to go again. That's the plan. This is all working as intended. <laughs> yes. It's going to be great. When Sake Revolution can go on the road, I think we're going to have a blast. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a good time. <laughs> it's be hard to get episodes recorded, but we're going to have fun. <laughs> well, this has really whetted my appetite for learning more about sake production in Tokyo. These are two great breweries, but there's a number of other breweries that we can look at in the future. And I'm really excited to learn more about what makes a brewery in Tokyo, you know? Yeah. And I also really like that both of these sakes, while they're made in the same prefecture, but wildly different flavors. Like yours, you have this very, very, uh, dare I say, John-style sake. And I have something a little bit more that my wife and I both enjoy, this particular sake. Mm. It's because it's got that boldness to it. It's got a lot of, it's got a lot of heft. <laughs> Those Maroka Genshus will get you every time. All right. Well, thank you so much to all our listeners for tuning in. We really do hope that you're enjoying our show. Now, if you'd like to show your support for Sake Revolution, one way you can really help us out would be to take a couple of minutes and leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. It's one of the best ways for you to help us get the word out about our show. And as soon as you're done writing your review, please make sure that you subscribe and also tell a friend. This way you and your friend will both be getting our podcast delivered to their device automatically every time we release one. And as always, to learn more about any of the topics or sakes we've talked about in today's episode, including those beautiful photographs of Sawanoi, mm. be sure to visit sakerevolution.com for the detailed show notes. And if you have a sake question that you need answered, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at feedback at sakerevolution.com. So until next time, please remember to keep drinking sake and... Kampai! Kampai.